What is up, Bean Babes? You are not going to want to miss this conversation that I have with Katie DePaula talking about her new book, At Least You Look Good, Learning to Glow Through What You Go Through. And we are going deep. We get raw, we get real. Um, we talk about resilience, manifestation, um, grief and loss. And it's all the things that you need to hear right now uh, to get you through feeling empowered and beautiful through the end of this year. Um, Katie DePaula is an author, speaker, entrepreneur, and the founder of Inner Glow Circle, a company dedicated to helping women entrepreneurs find their glow and live their purpose-driven lives, which has grown into a globally recognized training program. She has been featured in Time, Entrepreneur, and Forbes. Katie lives in Washington, D.C., where she serves on the board for Bo's effort and occasionally enjoys building her business from her bathtub. You guys, please help me welcome Katie. You're going to love this conversation. And as always, if you love it, please review it. That is the best way to um, grow and help podcasts like this, as well as check out if you want to watch the live video on my YouTube channel, The Bean Life. Let's get this party started. Welcome to the Beam Life Podcast, a rad and soulful show designed to set your heart on fire. As a hive, we will chat all things lifestyle, dig deep on how to achieve your wildest dreams, discover your confidence, and live the most fierce version of you. Yes, Beam Babe! You can be everything and more. Here's your host, the Beam Boss herself, Caitlin. Hey, Bean Babes. I am so stoked. I have like the raddest Bean Babe ever to share with you guys today. I have Katie DePaula, author of At Least You Look Good, brand new book that hit shelves this week. And she's going to share all the amazing things with you today. So Katie, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. How are you doing, girl? I'm doing well. And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. This has been such a fun process to watch you kind of go through all this. And then your social media this week has been just exciting. And um, I'm just really, you know, looking forward to our conversation and, and sharing some more specific details of like things that are in the book and things that have happened to you and how you got to this point. Um, so yeah, but you know, just to get started, tell the audience a little bit about, you know, yourself and this journey and who you are. Sure. Um, well, it's a long like story of who I am and you'll have to read it in the book, <laughs> but yes. um, no, I'll give you a couple of highlights. So like Caitlin said, my name is Katie DePaula. I am an author of at least you look good learning to glow through what you go through. It's my first book and it just came out this week. Um, I'm a speaker and I'm an entrepreneur and specifically I'm the founder of a company called Inner Glow Circle. We are a company dedicated to helping women entrepreneurs find their glow and live purpose-driven lives. And the way that that typically manifests is through our um, accredited coach training program. We have a life coach certification program that's accredited by the International Coaching Federation. And um, we also have a lot of... Uh, adjacent courses that talk about business or visibility or marketing or things like that, that a lot of us have a lot of, um, feel a lot of mystery and mystique around. So we're trying to uh, teach women how to do that in a way that feels really them, that feels really on brand for them and help them even figure out what on brand means. Yes. And then I live in Washington, DC. Um, I am on the board for my brother's foundation, which I'm sure I'll talk more about my brother, but it's called Bo's Effort. And, um, you know, occasionally I do enjoy building my business from my bathtub, which is something yeah. I talk about in my book too. You know, just a couple of things that you are, right? <laughs> just a couple You're, things, just a couple yes. highlights. Um, so let's talk about your book first and foremost. Um, yeah. So at least you look good, learning to glow through what you go through. Um, you know, like I mentioned, it hit shelves this week. How does it feel, first of all, to be a published author? I mean, that's totally on my goals list. So I want to know from you just what it actually feels like. How are you embracing this moment and living this, you know, and celebrating all of this? Mm, that's a really great question. So it feels really good. It feels um, 
for me, it feels like a um, establishment of my purpose. Like I'm someone, and I feel like you're probably this way. And a lot of our, our listeners are going to connect to this, but I'm someone who, gosh, really, since I remember anything, (laughs) since I have memories, you know, as far back as I have memories, I felt sort of this like pressure, the way it felt when I was younger was pressure, but this urgency to fulfill my purpose, fulfill my purpose. Like I was very, um, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, I call it existential anxiety. There's a whole chapter about it, but I was really, really consumed by my purpose in life and fi- figuring out what it was. And, and then as I started to figure out what it was in my mid to later twenties, um, and I'm still, I think, figuring it out, but doing it, making it happen, dedicating my life to it. And you know, your purpose can be so big, but I feel like I'm fulfilling a big part of my purpose And I still feel that I am, I hope this makes sense the way I describe it, but I still feel that I'm, I'm just scratching the surface of what I'm meant to do with my life and, and my possibility and my own potential. Mm -hmm. Um, But this feels like such a big step in me locking in what I'm meant to do because since I've been young, I knew I wanted to be a writer and um, I, I told a little bit of this story on Anna David's podcast, who we both work with. Yes. Um, and I was saying to Anna, I told her the story of how when I was younger, my grandfather, who I talk about a lot in the book, he was such a big influence for me business-wise. But I told, you know, he asked me one day, I remember him like sitting in his chair that he would sit in in his uh, living room. And he said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a writer and I want to write books. And he said, well, you know, if you're going to write books, you have to figure out how you're going to make money because writers <laughs> don't make money. And, you know, that's sort of the premise of, of oh, Anna's true. business. Yes. And, and so I built a company first and this feels like, um, it's the thing I feel most proud of myself for. Of course, I'm proud of my business and proud of my team, but this feels like very, very authentically and potently me. That was a really long answer to your question, but it was such a great question. No, it's beautiful because I love how you incorporate how this is just the beginning of living your purpose because I so believe in that. You know, it's not just something like we find, it's like, okay, here's my purpose. It's now taking the action and every day fulfilling yeah. this huge thing. Um, and, and I think that it takes a lot of, um, courage and grit and resilience, which I know, you know, we'll, we'll probably get into, cause you talk about it a lot in the book just to even yeah. want to discover purpose, right. A lot of, yeah. um, it's a big thing and overwhelming feeling for so many, at least I know for this community. Um, and it feels like a, this big task. So just knowing that you don't have to have all the answers and just feeling like you're moving towards that direction is so huge. Um, so I love that, that you shared that part of it and, um, yeah. Long answers are always good, right? We never know what's going to come out of conversation, but those best little nuggets come out of those long answers. Um, totally. So in this book, you get, and it was my favorite part of just, you know, reading this book is that you get so raw and you get so vulnerable and you share so much of things that we like to like keep hidden, you know, especially like it's, it's, you talk both about inner beauty, outer beauty, um, yeah. you know, manifestation and spirituality, and of course, grief and loss and trauma and anxiety and blah, 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 all the things. How did yeah. you decide what specific things to share? And also like, why share all these things? Like, you know, they're very, there's a lot of private, intimate things. And I think that it was, it just, it, for me, it would feel scary, but also it probably freedom to get it all out there. Um, but yeah, yeah. Tell, us, tell us how you made those choices because the Another, stories you share were great. Such a great question. I mean, 
I've, I've done a lot of podcasts and interviews and like, whenever I have an interviewer, that's like really asking me like hard questions, like not hard, hard, but like, you know, good. I'm, I always try to tell them, but these are really good questions. Um, <laughs> that's been like closing my eyes. If you guys end up watching this video, because I, I can, I can see my thoughts most clearly when my eyes are closed. You know, it's so funny. I do the same thing and I get knocked all the time. They're like, you know, sometimes when you talk, you close your eyes. It's like, it's because I'm seeing you. <laughs> I know. Like when people try to like, like press me for eye contact, I'm like, please leave me alone. Yeah. I'm thinking, um, I'm, thinking I'm trying to see what I think. Um, okay. So to answer your question, well, there's sort of two parts. So one is how did I decide what to share? And the other part is why share, right? So yes. how did I decide what to share? Gosh, I don't know. I don't really know if I even have a, a clear answer for you. I mean, part of it, um, I'm going to get like pretty spiritual here, but part of it didn't feel like it was my choice. It felt mm. like I was meant to surrender and be a vehicle and um that this was my job like this is so weird I I talk about this in the book a little bit but when I was a kid when I was a child I journaled a lot it was where I found an outlet mm -hmm. and I I'm sure it was like first a diary I think I had a diary with a lock on yeah, it a lock on it and totally and I was very scared that my mom was going to read my diary, but now she's actually read my diary yeah. <laughs> and she had lots of sticky note comments on my diary. But, um, you know, I, when I was young, I used to write slash pray to me. Writing is like similar to praying. Praying doesn't connect to everyone because people have weird stuff with religion, which I do too. And I totally get that. But I think of praying as asking, Mm. And for me, writing is sort of like listening and asking and listening and asking. It's like being in conversation with God or your higher self or, you know, whatever, like aliens you believe in. I don't know, just anything, right? Like the things that are around us and the ideas that are within us and all of it. And yes. so I, when I was a kid, I used to write God and I grew up Catholic. So like I had this very like obedient lens over it, but I used to write like, God, you know, tell me what to do with my life. Um, teach me, you know, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Like I would write mm. this prayer sort of repetitively and it, it's sort of odd if you really think about it. Like, I don't know if I was like, thought I was training to be a nun or something, but you know, I, I really sort of had this like obedience around surrendering to whatever I was supposed to do. Now, now as an adult and having done a lot of work around spirituality and what it means to me, et cetera, et cetera, I, it doesn't feel like that. I don't think that's really, at least for me, wasn't like the healthiest way to relate to it. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. And so as an adult, what I've chosen to do is to continue surrendering and fulfilling my purpose. I mean, I, I think I should give a really quick summary of what happened in my life. So people understand. Absolutely. Yes. I was going to ask you for that. So yes. Okay. So, so, so I had, um, this really like quite normal upbringing and, and not only normal, normal is a weird word, but like whatever normal means to you is probably what it was like. And then, yes. um, and probably beyond normal good, like well provided for extremely loving family, like mom stayed home and took care of us. And you know, there's all kinds of issues you can develop from all kinds of things. So, yes. you know, I certainly had like, we didn't talk about feelings a lot. There wasn't a lot of emotional intelligence. Um, you were sort of like told like, you're fine. If you feel sick, go to school anyways. Like, so, you know, I, I've had to work through some of those things, but for all intensive purposes, like I had a really great, very loved childhood. I was a straight A student. I did really well. I went to Vanderbilt because it was the best school I got into and it's a good school. And, and, and Vanderbilt's very, um, or, you know, my experience of it was just like, it was very, um, preppy and like for mm -hmm. people who were like well-bred and I think it's changed and become a lot more diverse 
but it truly wasn't that diverse when I was there. It was certainly not even as diverse as the community that I grew up in. I, I grew up in like sort of like this very normal um, white way, I guess mm-hmm. is maybe a way to say it, privileged. And, um, and yet I was like completely tortured inside. And so I didn't understand like why my outside world was so like neat and tidy, but my inside world wasn't. And so that was like sort of the first thing I was wrestling with. But then again, like until I was in my twenties, I could, nothing really made sense. I graduate from school. I, I moved to New York city again, like just living the dream of life. And I, I go through a few jobs in New York. I start to experience a lot of physical sickness. I don't know what's going on with me. And finally getting sick starts to be a physical manifestation of what's going on inside of me. Mm -hmm. So that was like the first thing, like in, in college, I didn't feel well a lot, but I honestly just thought it was because of my drinking and eating. And then I, I, I graduate, I go to New York and like, I can't find a job. I like, I work in fashion. I work in PR. I'm like this woman's executive assistant in a consulting company. I work in sales. Like I'm really jumping around and I can't find anything and nothing's landing. And I become like very disillusioned with life, like, and depressed would probably be a good word to use there. I call my dad one day from the office back bathroom. And I say like, is this how it's supposed to be? And he's like, Katie, you're not supposed to be miserable. And mm-hmm. if you haven't f- found a job you love, maybe you're going to have to create one. And, and, you know, it landed with go me. Dad. So I, go dad. Yeah. He had, a, he had a moment there. And yeah. so I end up moving home, like quitting my job, moving home to the DC area. And then a whole nother crazy series of events got kicked off, which is really where like the writing material came from, but it was certainly not anything I would have ever wished for. Sure. So, um, it was January, 2014. I met my brother, Johnny's, uh, college graduation. I lose feeling in half my body from my toes up to my face. And at this point I've been researching what's going on with me. I can't find an answer. I was, I was having all these different weird symptoms. I mean, chronic headaches, you know, really just sick a lot, like always felt like I had a cold or even the flu, like chills, like all these things, but things people can't pin down. Yeah. And so then what happens is I start to like, I'll be out holding a glass and it'll fall out of my lap. And like, I'm losing motor functions. And I'm like, this is freaky, right? This is like, we can't ignore this. So after a series of like seeing doctors and by series, I mean like seeing 30 doctors and not getting a diagnosis or having them tell me it's in my head, I get diagnosed with chronic neurological Lyme disease. They tell me I have brain damage and that, you know, if I don't start treatment, I'm going to basically end up in a wheelchair. So I go through that. And then I start to um, get treatment. They've got me on like 30 pills a day. Um, I'm learning how to swallow handfuls of pills to this day. Like people are always like, how do you just swallow all those pills? I'm like, because you don't look at 30 pills and like, let me go one by one, right? No, it's like, get them down. Right, exactly. So um, I start sort of like being on the up a little bit and- just as that's happening, I start my company, Inner Glow Circle, that was in the beginning of 2015, after I'd gone through about a year of treatment. And exactly 100 days later, I get a call that my little brother died from an overdose. My other brother, Johnny, calls me and he said, you have to come home, Bo's dead. So, um, you know, I talk about it really kind of matter of fact now because it's just a part of my life now. It's a part of my story, but obviously it was completely debilitating and anyone who's experienced loss can like loss like that unexpected and tragic and, um, knows the, the different emotions that come with it. And that was the really, um, you know, kind of really big, big, big turning point in my life. There's more, which I'm sure we'll touch on, but, but I think we can pause there. Yeah. And I, um, it was about that point in the book too, where I'm just like, Oh, you know, I just yeah. feel like you, you see, it's like, 
it's like, you're cheering for you. It's like, okay. Starting to feel better. Things are moving along. And then it's like, this happens. And I just, I've had some intense, um, loss and grief in my life in different yeah. ways. But what yeah. I think really is resonating right now with so many, um, people with your book is that you are touching upon the topic of loss and grief yeah. and trauma. Yeah. And it's like, what does that look like? And yeah, even though someone, um, isn't necessarily going through the loss of a person right now, I think this year in general going through COVID has been a year of loss for people and, um, yeah. in different ways, you know, whether they've 100% lost a career, they've had to make dramatic changes, um, you know, have lost actual people to the disease or something else, um, depression, all of these things. And it's almost like losing a sense of self because what we once knew is now no longer. Um, so I think even though your book is talking about this loss of your brother, it's yeah. so relatable because we're all suffering some kind of loss right now. And yeah, yeah, you know, I I really love how you bring in spirituality in quite a big way in this book. And like you said, yeah. people get weird about religion in a sense. Um, but how you approach spirituality is very different and it's refreshing. And I love the way you talk about it. And there's a couple um, places specifically where you talk about it, which I want to ask you in a little bit more in detail, but um, how has spirituality been and played a part in your healing process and all this? And I know you said you grew up Catholic, but where did this yeah. other spirituality kind of come in? I just, I, again, a great question. I want to say one thing about what you just said um, about grief and loss. And I was making a list earlier of like all the different types of, of grief and, and loss that people can experience and especially are experiencing right now. And just to your point, you know, it, it's like job loss. It's even like job intolerance. Like I see mm -hmm. so many people in my, in my work who have to go to a job every day, but literally feel like their soul is dying. Um, you know, of course the loss of life, but the, the loss of life as we know it, any sort of like abuse, I, I see it from partners, of course, but um, even at work, people mm -hmm. endure abuse, you know, and, and feel that they have to, to like make ends meet. And so there's just so many ways, like any kind of, you know, great disappointment, um, unemployment, of course, lack of motivation, illness. I mean, there's just so many things. So spirituality, oh, gosh, I don't know. Like I'm answering all your questions with like, I don't know, but it's been such a journey for me. Like I, I don't completely reject the, what I learned as a child about God and prayer and spirituality and well I think that like, really started your faith right I mean like that that's introduction to faith basically I think yeah I think it definitely like ignited something I mean for me it's been very much about like the the puzzle pieces of like oh that feels true for me like oh that feels mm, true for mm -hmm. me um you know I think that my greatest teacher and the thing that I'm most like, uh, spiritually like reverent of is just life, mm -hmm. like life, life is my greatest teacher. So I have created in my mind, this massive commitment to see everything as a gift or an invitation or an opportunity. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I, gosh, I don't want to like get into this, but I told you like my boyfriend and I got in a car accident yesterday and no one was hurt, not us or the other person, but our car was very damaged. And I, based on where the car hit us, I, I saw like what could have happened if things were worse. And, you know, I, 
have been like, I mean, yesterday just relaxed, but then I was like sort of woke up with all this awareness around um, the lessons that it has for me about slowing down, you know, things with my partner. Like we had been arguing earlier in the morning, like how do we create a life that doesn't have that kind of stuff? Not that there's no accidents that will happen, but, and not that like everything that comes into our lives and hurts us or harm harms us is our responsibility. Cause I don't believe that, or that it is, you know, um, something that we could control or change. I, I certainly don't believe that, but I do believe that if we want to, we can find the lesson in different mm-hmm. things. I mean, I didn't ask to be bit by a tick. That's where Lyme disease comes from. That certainly wasn't my fault. And I couldn't have like not lived at my parents' house in Maryland as a child. You know what I mean? Like I got totally. bit when I was like 17. So, you know, you talk about taking responsibility and a lot of people get really worked up about that because they're like, you can't take responsibility for trauma. And I agree with that. Um, but I do think that if we want to, we can see the lesson and the, um, the deeper element of anything that we experience. And I think that for a lot of people, that is what God is, or that is Mm -hmm. what religion is, you know, but the whole, like, this is God's plan, or like, you can see how that's like a tiny, tiny little fraction of um, what's the meaning here. But I don't think it just staying there is enough, right? Like when people would say to me, when Bo died, um, he's in a better place. Like that's sort of, in my experience has been the church's answer for things. And I do think that maybe he's in a cooler place, but that certainly does not ease my grief. No. And so we have to go deeper than that. And so for me, it's just been like a soul searching, looking for answers, looking for answers, looking for answers. Like people use the term seeker. I'm like totally that way. And I think Mm -hmm. so many of us are. Yeah. A student, right? Just like you said, a student of life. And I do agree with you on responsibility. I'm really big on responsibility. And I do agree in a sense of we can't always take responsibility for the trauma that happens, but I think where we can owe responsibility is the healing. Yeah. And what do we need to heal? Um, and, and who do we need, um, to help through that process? And it's a matter of like who and what, um, and when are you ready for it? Because it's also okay to grieve and you don't have to like be happy right away. And, and it's okay to, in fact, it's important to feel those things. And you talk about that in your book about feeling just all the feels. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a total, um, that whole section of, which is really how this, your book was based of your life was a complete, you know, soul shakeup, as you like to say. And I, um, I think what's, you know, like you said, you can't take, you don't know when you were going to get bit by a tick, but you also have now, grown into this woman that is taking responsibility by sharing what you went through with other people and healing yourself all at the same time. Cause I think we're in a constant state of healing and growing and healing and growing. Cause when we grow, we stretch and we got to heal from that too. Right. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I think that it's the spirituality part is new in, um, and refreshing to read because a lot of people either go very deep with it and go more into a um, more of the religious way, or they don't talk about it at all. And I think it's important to connect with, you know, and see signs and believe in, and that there's something out there bigger than us, you know? Um, yes. And I, yeah. Can I add one thing? Yes. I was hoping you would. Yes. Okay. So I want to add one thing. Cause I think this will connect with a lot of people who are listening, but There's also like this whole realm kind of that's popping up, but also I think it's just been up around um, what some people call spiritual bypassing, which is like using spirituality. It's not that different than like, you know, he's in a better place, like using spirituality to bypass trauma, to bypass lived experiences, to bypass, you know, pain, pain, pain. 
And so, you know, there's also a term that I talk about a little bit in the book, toxic positivity. And, you know, the question becomes, I'm going to read something really short from the book, like really short, um, if that's okay. Please. Yes. Um, This is our talk. We can do whatever we want. (laughs) I know, but, but you're the boss. Um, (laughs) You're the beam boss. So I say, this is an introduction, but it says this book is less about self-help and more about self-awareness. It's about self-advocacy, finding your voice and trusting yourself along the way. It's about managing the ups and downs of love and loss and figuring out how to find the glow in the dark without being sucked into the world of toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. I, I don't go super deep into what toxic positivity means as a definition, but I talk about this concept throughout the book and toxic positivity is just being so positive that it's, it becomes toxic. You're overloading your system, the other person's system, the world with positivity to the point where it's not, it's not helpful anymore. And, you know, it could just look like, um, someone saying to you, or you saying to someone like, just get over it. Or, um, you know, uh, maybe this is going to be okay. Yeah. Or meant it's to all happen. Gonna be okay. Right. Um, or just be positive, be positive, be positive. And it's of like, course. are you joking? You know, I'm dealing with like sexual assault or I'm dealing like, you know, deep shit, man. And so, and we do it, we do it to ourselves and we do it ourselves. And, you know, I don't have kids yet, but I'm sure I'll accidentally do it to my kids, right? Because it was done to me. And it's just about being really conscious of our language, not only with ourselves or not only with others, but with ourselves and understanding, you know, what's the line between, and it's really nuanced. That's the other thing I've realized so much about healing is it's really nuanced between saying, you know what, I am a victim. Like I was victimized here and I'm going to stay in that place. Like, you know, I I talk about that too. Like, like I was a victim. I was a victim of domestic violence because while, you know, between being sick and losing Bo, I got myself into a really bad relationship and I got myself into it. But also if I really track it back, I was quite manipulated by the Mm -hmm. other person. And um, he showed up very much as a savior and said the things I needed to hear. And I didn't want to be alone. And I was sick and I was vulnerable. And I was quite afraid of being alone, even at times, because I didn't fully even trust myself. Yeah. And so I got myself into a really bad relationship that ended in court with, you know, restraining orders. I had to go through, um, well, I won't tell you what happened, but I had a probation officer. You'll have to read the details in the book. But, you know, I had to, I was a victim and I decided that I wanted to uh, take responsibility where I could. For me, it was buying my power back. And when I bought my power back, I could create a different life. I could rewrite the end. I could write the end of the story. I couldn't rewrite this part that happened, but I could write my story in a way that you know, made sense to me and where I was coming out on top and that's what I wanted to do. Controlling the ending. You get to write the ending. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's a beautiful part of it is, is taking control of that point. And and we don't always have, you know, the ability to know what's going to happen in the middle, but by taking that power, we can change the ending. So I love that. I love that so much. And uh, like, I really, there's like so many parts of this book that I thought, oh my gosh, this audience needs to hear today. Um, But there's really specific chapters that spoke out to me. And if it's okay with you, I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper because I think we're on such a good track right now that this is a good point to kind of jump into some specific words from you and from the book. Um, Let's do it. If you're, are you okay with that? Okay. Totally okay. I know it's sometimes I mean, weird for it. someone to like, yeah, it's weird <laughs> for someone to like read it back to you. But um, okay, so this is from chapter 14. And I, and I love what you say about manifestation because this is a big okay. topic in general and everyone has different feels around it. Yeah. But 
Um, I love that you say, although manifesting isn't a cure-all, I've learned how to use it to speed up my healing journey. It's important mm-hmm. to know that manifesting isn't just about making a vision board with hot couples and honeymoon sunsets and hoping the mm-hmm. one will show up. You have to go through an intentional process of visualizing what you want, understanding who you need to become to have it and doing the things that version of you would do. If I say I want to make a hundred hundreds of millions of dollars in my business, be an influential philanthropist or be on a certain TV show, I have to ask myself if I'm showing up now as the philanthropist multimillionaire on TV. So mm. I love this chapter specifically because, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, you're talking about manifestation, um, law yeah. of attraction, and, um, and it's in a different sort of practical way that I think we can all relate to. But I'd like for you to elaborate a little bit more on this and what you mean about manifesting is not a cure-all because I thought, yes, yes, totally checkmarking this and highlighting it. I love it. Yeah. So let's just make sure we tell everyone that if that's chapter 14, then it's the title of that chapter is manifestation and partial hospitalization. There's always, there's always some drama. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, to me, what I've learned about manifestation, and this is through, you know, learning a lot, like being taught by different people, reading a lot. And then of course, just going through my own experiences and battling with like, why can't I manifest? Like, that's what was happening for me. Like I couldn't quote unquote manifest a better life. And I started to feel like something was wrong with me. Like I was broken. And so for me, like I had to break it down and understand, well, why does my quote unquote manifestation seem to work sometimes? and not work Mm. other times or not work as easily other times. And so I started to like work backwards. I do a lot of like working backwards in my brain to try to understand why. Um, I'll sort of like see the finished puzzle, but then like not know what the pieces were. So then I can't explain it to people, right? So I try to like break it down. And I think that, yeah, like as we're talking about manifestation requires responsibility and it requires integrity like you have to get real with yourself you have to get real with you know your journal or god or the powers that be or the tree outside that you talk to sometimes or the birds or whatever or your loved ones on the other side like you have to get real you have to get real with yourself and you have Mm -hmm. to say okay like this thing that i was like trying to manifest i was actually really scared of having or this thing, I, you know, I thought a lot, it's really easy examples like money. Like, you know, people say like they want to make a hundred thousand dollars or they want to profit whatever amount. And then like, if they really sit down and look at it, they're like, holy shit. Like, I'm actually so afraid of having that money. Cause I think I'm going to blow it all. Mm-hmm. Or I think I'm going to like spend money on like bad things or wrong things or that I won't be able to handle it. Right. And then we keep going like up in levels what is up, right? It doesn't really matter. It's based on what yes. you want, but oh my God, I couldn't even imagine having a million dollars. I couldn't even imagine having a hundred million dollars because what if this, what if this? And like another great thing is like the great example is like the, the partner, like the ideal partner, right? Like what are you so afraid you would do if you finally got the partner, right? Or some people want like a business partner, but like, what are you afraid that you might screw up or we're often like we get in our own way. We know that that's like self-help. But like, but like we're the deeper than that. We don't get the things we want or the things we said we wanted because we're subconsciously and sometimes consciously afraid that we're going to fuck it up. I hope Mm -hmm. it's okay that I said that word. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) Drop it all day long. (laughs) We're afraid we're going to fuck it up. And like, here's the thing I find my ego, my biggest fear always is the fear of being embarrassed. I am so afraid of feeling embarrassed. And that's a big motivator from, for me that like, if that's my only motivation is not a, 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 a glow level motivation. We say glow is greatest level of want. So it's mm-hmm. not my highest level of motivation, 
So anyways, to summarize that you have to look at where you're manifesting from and look at who you, who you're going to need to become. I look at like, okay, I want to be a mom. I got to be like less selfish. I got to be more responsible. Like, okay, yeah, I can write a book, but like, I often can't like figure out how to make dinner. You know, like my kids are going to need to eat. Like, I got to figure out how to be like a little bit more human and like, you know, I can manage my finances right now. But when I think about the next level of wealth and what I want to do with it and how I want to be able to be of service and, you know, what I want to be able to give to myself and my family, like I manifest by sort of already like pre-planning how it's all going to go so that I feel like, like money needs a plan like call it whatever you want. I'll just say God for right now, but like God or the universe like needs to know what you're thinking. So it's like pre-planning so that you're prepared when it arrives. Does that make sense to you when I say it? Yes, very much so. Because it's, it's very much of how I've been sort of trained, not so trained, but read and, and believe about manifestation as well, that it's something you have to step into and act yeah. as if yeah. we're in that place now. Okay. Um, a great thing that I always think of, and it was my first lesson in manifestation is when I first started in this um, industry, I was in, in fashion industry, I was in sales and I had mm-hmm. very um, high end clientele, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, athletes, entertainers, and I'm a, just graduated college student with like barely a hundred dollars in the bank account on a good night. And so I'm having to sell these very expensive, good Mm. clothes. And I was like, ah, it's really expensive, but it was expensive Mm. to me, not Mm -hmm. expensive to my clients. Right. So it just like, this was like the first realization of, okay, it's how you, I had to step into myself as if I was these people who could afford these things to even be able to sell something and be like in it. And so then I translate that to other parts, but it's similar um, to kind of what you're saying is you have to show up as that person and take action. We can't just think about it. You know Um, we have to actually be it and live it. Um, And, and ask ourselves, I love, like you said, is, asking ourselves like where it's coming from like where is this manifestation kind of coming from and who are we when we're asking for it sort of thing um yeah. so yeah i think that a lot of i get asked a lot of questions about goals and manifestation and i particularly that thought this was really a great way to put it it's that it's not a cure all for everything um so another section um it's like, I could have literally read this whole book today on the podcast, by the way, but, um, another great section is, um, we've talked a lot about spirituality, but this was something that is a little bit next level on it. This is from chapter 30. And you said, life is hard, but good. I thought I created this, a butterfly landed on my arm. I stayed quiet, trying my best to keep him there. This is a sign. I whispered to myself, I am alive. I've gotten hold of my mind and a new life has followed. I believe in reincarnation because I believe in second chances. I also know you can be reborn in this lifetime. I know because it happened to me, I was reborn. It wasn't an easy journey, but all my effort was finally starting to feel like it was worth something. Miracles were coming to me. So super powerful shit. (laughs) Love that. Um, Because I love um, even just, honoring the fact that you can say miracles are coming to me, right? It takes a lot for somebody to even say that and then write it in a book for people to read. I thought was powerful, but if people know the context of where this was coming from, it's, it's also interesting. Um, so they'll have to read a book to know the context, but tell me, because I'm also a big believer in second chances, how have second chances shown up for you? And what does that mean and look like for Katie to Paula? Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that gosh, it's like, so it's so tender and so nuanced. Um, cause I never want to say like, 
you know, my instinct is to say second chances are available to everyone. And then I think, okay, but what is, what if this, and what if this throughout the book, I was super conscious of being conscious and aware of different people's circumstances, because I never want to be the person that says hop over all your circumstances. And, you know, it's so easy because it's not freaking easy. It's not easy, but to me, second chances are about learning. It's about being able to sort of like edit your own work, like edit your own work in life, edit your own choices in life. So a lot of times we do stuff on impulse. Like I'll use a like really simple example, but like I have a shopping problem. I talk about my shopping problem in my book. Um, I'm still understanding this part of my life and it's not totally a problem, but sometimes I will buy something or buy a lot of things and then be like, why the freak did I buy this? I don't need this or I don't want this or not going to wear it. Right. And I literally, my boyfriend also has a shopping problem, which is like so funny because not to like genderize things, but like you know, I feel like a lot of guys don't have shopping problems, but I am with somebody who does. So of course I'm looking at the universe, like funny cosmic joke. What's this all about? And it's a mirror. It's right. Because I sometimes think I've, I'm so smart and I've done so much work. And I even wrote about all the work that I did in my book. But when I see it in another person, I, my judgy side comes out. So it's like perfect for me but he does this too, or he like buys stuff and then he'll go return it. And it's like, returning it is like your second chance <laughs> yes. for you to be like, no, it wasn't about that. Like it yes. wasn't about that. Right. Like, or I don't know, I've had stuff my whole life with like food. I, I feel like so many women do, but you know, with like binge eating or wanting to binge eat or, and it's like, you know, I find myself n- like eating from a place of, of worry or stress or panic or emotion, not from hunger. And I've been practicing, gosh, almost for the past 10 years, like conscious eating. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, if I eat too much or I binge or I feel sick, you know, rather than making an impulsive decision, as I may have in the past, I will say to myself, Katie, what were you feeling? And then like make a commitment with myself to do it differently next time. So I hope this is a good way to explain this. That makes a lot of sense to a lot of people, but you know, you know, I think that we can edit our own work. We can edit our own lives. I remember reading years and years ago when I was in English, AP English, like there, I don't know who said it, off the top of my head, but that there is no good writing. There is only good rewriting. And I Mm -hmm. wonder if there's no good living. There's only good, like reliving, like, yeah, you have to decide to do it better. And for some people, the shame and the guilt and the self-loathing is so strong that they end up not even being able to do it differently. They live in that cycle of shame and guilt their whole lives and they pass it on to their kids and their partner catches it and it becomes really addictive and contagious. And I think a lot of our world is living in that cycle. And so, um, yes, second chances. Yeah. I'm all about breaking the damn cycle. Like I, I I recognize myself on this hamster wheel all the time. And I'm just like, no, I do not want that for my, my family. I don't want that for my future, like break the cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, which perfectly segues into the last thing I'm going to read to you. Cause like I said, I could have read this whole book, but this one, this, this to me, um, in terms of a personal level was mm-hmm. a mic drop. Cause this year was a, a year for me of walking away and, or maybe the last two years. And this actually, this past year was stepping into my power. The year before that was walking away, but I really resonated with this. This is from your chapter 32. And I just want I everyone like, to know before you start that you did not pre-feed these to me. Like no. I did not know which one you were going to pick and you didn't notice this because you were reading, but I was tearing up when you were reading the last one because of the context that I know that that 
um, story is in. So I don't know what you're going to read, but hit me with it. (laughs) So in chapter 32, um, and it says the most significant part of a woman who's willing to walk away isn't what she's willing to walk away from. It's her trust and faith in what she's walking toward. It's in her belief that life, business, health, wealth, and relationships can always get better no matter how they look at this exact moment. We are usually only willing to walk away when we know something greater exists beyond the letting go. Yes, preach it, Katie. When we know what that holding on is what's keeping us stuck. Know that walking away is the decision that will open the doors to a better future. By clearing space, you open yourself to what's next. Boom, done. Um, So freaking good because... I just get chills because yes, so often we're willing to just walk away when we know there's something really good on the other side, but taking the chance to walk away when we don't know. Yeah. That's magic and that's power. So talk to me a little bit about owning the power to walk away and what that's, what that's like. Yeah. Um, that's such an intense one. It's so good. I agree with you. It's really juicy and it it can, it really can hit you hard. I remember writing this shit and like crying and being like, wow, you know, this is like a thing. And I still, even as I was editing, which you know how crazy of an editor I am, but as I was editing, I was like, the same stuff that I wrote was like waking me back up because of some weird thing that I was upset about or was I was obsessing over. And this is why I say like, sure, I wrote the book, but like also there was something kind of working through me and with me. Walking away. um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say besides what you said, but just to give some context or like some examples. and, And I think this is, you know, what you connect to a little bit. I don't, I don't know. And I don't, I don't want to share your story for you, but you know, in relationships, like it's really hard to end a relationship, whether it be a a romantic relationship or a friendship, or let's say even with work, like you have a relationship with your job, you have a relationship with everything in your life. I, I don't know why this is coming to me. Like maybe someone listening is going through this, but like you know, with kids, even like going to college or like different phases in your life. Like so much of life is about losing. It's about letting go. It's about moving on and like, and like moving through like more than moving on. Right. And it's about grieving, but then letting the grief roll and evolve into something different, juicier. I mean, when Bo died, I saw no way of ever being able to heal. I saw no way of ever being able to heal. And so many people, loving people said to me, you will never be the same. You will never be the same and you will never stop grieving and the pain will always be with you. And I don't feel those things are completely untrue, but they're certainly not completely true, mm-hmm. at least for me. And this was the reality I started to create for myself. And this was what I wanted to teach other people to do, because if that many people that had lost people were coming to me, telling me they were still so broken, then there were all these people that needed mm-hmm. another way to look at things. Yeah. And you know, I read a lot of books. I'm a reader. I'm a writer. I was connecting with God and like all these forces and I still couldn't figure it out until I figured it out that life would be willing to give you a miracle big enough not to like not to make up or replace the person or replace the experience or whatever. I I don't know if that's exactly how it happens, but so that you would be so focused on what was so good Mm -hmm. that it wouldn't hurt so much about what was bad. 
And obviously I'm crying in this moment. So it still really affects me. Sure. But I don't feel like I miss my brother in the way that I did when he first died. We have a different relationship. And even the way I've moved through romantic relationships and business losses, you know, challenges, everyday challenges is so different now that I understand that move, like we get to be the ones who move it. Yes. And that movement, movement of energy, movement of um, pain will bring something, can bring something as beautiful or sometimes more beautiful. And it's really hard for people to understand this. It was really hard for me to understand this and accept it. And, and if it doesn't work for you, it's okay. You don't have to, um, you don't have to use this, but for some people, this will be the mindset that, you know, could potentially be their like saving grace as far as they think about what has happened in their life. Like I'm not the same person that I was, but I can tell you I am a better person, Mm -hmm. but I had to choose that. You know, a lot of marriages, I think it's like 80% of the statistics, 80% of marriages fail after losing a child. I can tell you that my parents have a better marriage now and that our family is stronger, but that's not always the case. And that's why I know that this work is so needed. Yes. And I, I love so much your vulnerability and your rawness because (laughs) you're real, you're real. And you feel that way reading your book. I feel that way through this process of just getting to know you and talking to you. And then I feel it again today on this podcast and, um, it's, it's genuine, it's authentic, it's real. And we don't get that a whole lot. So thank you. Thank you for showing up as you and sharing all of this, because I know people listening are gonna, are gonna really deeply feel all of it. And, and it's going to trigger something in them to hopefully do some work in whatever way that looks for them, Yeah, you know? Um, but the work is important and that we're always in the need of constant, um, evolvement and the need for connection and all of that. So I really appreciate all of that. So, so, so much. And thank you being based. I cannot tell you enough how much you need to get this book literally in your hands. Um, different parts will speak to you depending on what you're going through. But like, even like you said, you going back through and editing your own writing was talking to you at different points. So it's one of those books that you can kind of go back and be like, Oh my gosh, now this is really speaking to me. Um, so I just, congratulations on your success. Thank you for showing up in your, your true realness and fabulousness. And, um, it's so great. So before we kind of start to wrap up, I want to know number one, what's next for you? What's in your future? What are you looking forward to? And, um, Yeah. What's, what's on the plate for you? Um, you know, I, as I was finishing up and I just want to say thank you so much for your acknowledgement, but you have been like, gosh, such like an angel in my life over the past (laughs) few months. Um, so guys, Keelan's the best. Oh, thank you. So patient and so loving and so encouraging, but over the past few months where I was like really getting things to the finish line with publishing, I just kept hearing like the book has legs, the book has legs, the book has le- has legs. Cause I always have this belief that like, I need to like figure out and control everything. And so, um, I just want the book to lead me and guide me. And I feel like I'm being given like small next steps every day but this feels like a vehicle for me. It feels like a, um, there's a path being laid out here. And I feel like my job is to stay as centered in my truth and um, who I really am as possible. I, I 
don't really know how to show up as anyone else, which like in my normal life, when I, before I got to be like who I actually am, made me so weird, such a weirdo, but now it's turning out to be an asset. Yay, <laughs> so, yes. Um, but, you know, I'm certain I'll write more books and um, not to scare you, but I already have ideas. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I'm, I'm sure that that will be part of my career moving forward. Um, and I think the core of things is just helping people move through the parts of their lives that they can't see any movement. I, I do think I have a gift for helping people get unstuck and helping myself get unstuck and helping people heal. I think that that word is really important and it doesn't sound sexy, but I'm here to help you guys see how it's super sexy. Yes. So sexy healing and, um, title of your new book. That's the title of your new book. Sexy healing. I love that. (laughs) I love it. Um, so also I want to know real quick, cause you know, I always love my, um, bean babe, rapid fire lightning round, but I want to know from you, um, where is the best place where people can find out more info about inner glow circle, where they can follow you, where they can get your book, yeah. all the things. Yeah. So I've got a couple quick things. One on Instagram at inner glow circle, really simple. The other is me personally at it's Katie DePaula. You're going to want to look at the show notes to spell that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then website. So I'm just going to give you the book website so that you can find the hardcover, the, e- the ebook, um, which I think will still be 99 cents when you guys hear this, if you want to go grab it uh, and the paperback. So it's innerglowcircle.com slash book. And then I'm going to give you one more thing because we talked so much about manifesting. I talk about this training and give a, give a link to it in the book, but I'll just mention it here. If you go to innerglowcircle.com slash manifesting, the process that I teach uh, that we we touched on today, I teach like a whole, it must be 45 minutes to an hour course that you can get for free at that link. So I do recommend that you get the book and it'll take you to the training as well. Um, But if nothing else, and all you can do financially right now is get that training, I recommend that too. So innerglowcircle.com slash book and innerglowcircle.com slash manifesting. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So are you ready for our rapid fire? Okay. So I'm going to ask you 11 questions, just one word answers or a couple words, whatever comes to mind. All right. So a beam babe is someone who glows from the inside out. Yes. Favorite song that always makes you dance. Mm, anything Beyonce. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Currently reading. Uh, better be your book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually rereading and practicing again the artist way. Oh, I love it. So good. Yeah. A beam babe that inspires you. You. You're the best. You too. <laughs> um, last thing that made you feel grateful. Um, I had a really yummy breakfast and my boyfriend made really good coffee. Oh, good coffee is the jam. When are you most inspired? When I'm being creative and artsy, but like not with a plan, just flowing. Love it. What always makes you laugh? Uh, my friends. Good friends. Favorite meal or food? Pretty much like any kind of fruit. Interesting. I was like, I was so expecting something like very, very specific, but fruit. I love it. Um, if, if, if I'm like, okay, well, that was a, that was a curveball for me. Um, if you could raid anyone's closet, who would it be? Mm, that one's like really hard for me based on my fashion taste for fashion, but I would say like the Kardashians, if I could be all of, if it could be all of them, cause I feel like there's all, a lot of options, a lot of the options in there. I love it. What is your guilty pleasure? I like like healthy. I eat, I like to eat really healthy, but like I find like all the healthy treats and like all the, you know, chocolate without real sugar and like everything that's like gluten-free. So like healthy, like dessert treats. Love it. And lastly, most importantly, what makes you Katie DePaula bean? 
fulfilling my purpose and like getting to do the, the work that I feel I'm meant to do in this lifetime. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love this all so much. This conversation is one of my faves and thank you so much for spending your morning with us and sharing about your book and just getting super raw and real. And that's what this is all about. So I'm just excited for you and this book launch. And it's, it's just been awesome to see it from start to finish and, and just watching you beam all over the place. It's, it's amazing. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Bye guys. The Beam Life podcast records episodes weekly and can be found on Instagram at The Beam Life and at beamlife.com.